Good morning. My name is Reverend Jennifer DeBesk-Alviar. I feel honored to be a member of East Shore Unitarian Church since 2018. We are blessed to have Reverend Maria Christina as our new parish minister since 2022. She has done a fabulous job of cultivating a faith community of multiculturalism, radical hospitality, welcome, and inclusion with her own spirit of warmth and vitality. Here at East Shore, we practice theological diversity in embracing the world's wisdom traditions and as well as embracing the Earth's uh, Earth-centered practices. We also affirm the multiplicity of gender expressions where trans, non-binary, and LGBTQIA folks are welcomed and affirmed. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you are warmly welcomed here. Thank you for joining us this morning. In our Unitarian Universalist uh, tradition, ministries come in many different forms. We have parish ministers like Reverend Maria Christina, and we also have community ministers like myself. In my role as a community minister is to embody our church values of love and justice and carry those values outside the church walls and engage in relationships with others in the larger community. In my case, I feel called towards a ministry of disability justice around neurodiversity. This term neurodiversity expresses the diverse ways that our brains and our bodies relate to human behavior. Some disabilities are visible and others are not. In our UU movement in general, and here at East Shore in particular, we welcome all brains and bodies as sacred, worthy of dignity and respect. And so, that is what today's worship service will be all about, celebrating neurodiversity as one of many forms of creating a more just, equitable, and inclusive world. May it be so. Words matter. Language matters. These building blocks are foundational in shaping how our, how our society and how we treat one another. And it begins early. Let me illustrate with a story. It's a crisp fall September day, back to school season, as I pick up my four-year-old daughter from preschool, she, I notice that she's holding a brightly colored patterned cloth in her hands. So I ask, what do you have there, Madeline? And she wiggles and squirms with excitement as preschoolers do. Mommy, this is my letter bag project. Teacher Cindy said that each day we will learn a new letter of the alphabet. You and I, We'll search for four household objects that match the letter for the day. If we find a fifth object, then we'll earn a bonus prize. All right, game on. On this particular day, we happen to be searching for objects that match the letter F. We find a toy frog and a, a flower a flashlight, and 
fan. But the final object adds a twist to the game. The fan is decorated with fish. So does that count as one object or two? I don't know. But just to ensure that we earn the bonus prize, I tell Madeline that we'll take a break and search again in the morning. The next morning arrives. My eyes scan the kitchen for clues as we eat breakfast. And there, tucked away in the corner of Madeline's toy box, I spy the object. I actually feel like a spy myself. So stealthy, sneaky, and clever, I glide over to the object and pick it up. I present it to Madeline in a ceremonial gesture. Here you go, a toy phone for your letter F back. Madeline receives it in a spirit in which I have gifted it to her. She carefully places the treasured phone in her bag, and we exchange extra big hugs that day as I drop her off at school. Mission accomplished. Fast forward to dinner time. Our family gathers around the table to share highlights from our day. When my husband, Christopher, asks Madeline about her day at school, she can hardly contain herself. Daddy, Daddy, we found our fifth object that earned us a bonus prize for, for our letter bag project today. Wow, that is great, Madeline, he exclaims. Tell me about your object. Madeline announces proudly, Mommy put a toy phone in my letter F bag. The expression on Christopher, Christopher's face does not match the gleeful looks on our faces. Recognizing that he is navigating some very delicate territory, he approaches with caution. Just a friendly reminder, the word phone starts with a PH, not an F. I pause to consider this very inconvenient fact. I was having such a fun day with phonics. Christopher eases his way gently into his follow-up question. So what did teacher Cindy say? I responded somewhat defensively. Well, I'm sure she was forgiving in keeping with the letter F. But the fact remained that I had made a grammatical mistake, and I was a bit curious myself what teacher Cindy might say. So the next morning, in an easy, breezy sort of way, I approached teacher Cindy. I chuckled and remarked, you know, the funniest thing happened yesterday. Did you happen to find a phone in Madeline's letter F bag? Teacher Cindy smiled at me with sheer warmth and kindness. Don't worry about it, she, she responded. It happens all the time. She then shared a story with me that I will treasure forever. As you know, our students are learning about dinosaurs for science class. One child named Sarah put dinosaur bones in her letter F bag. I bent down low and met her at eye level. Then I said, Sarah, I am so excited and curious to hear about your thoughts in choosing dinosaur bones for your letter F bag. Sarah met my gaze with unwavering confidence. With strong conviction in her voice, she replied, my mommy 
says that dinosaurs are fierce and ferocious. So of course I put them in my letter F bag. Of course. Thanks to Sarah's out-of-the-box thinking, I felt absolutely vindicated. God bless her. Words matter. Language matters. Not just for four-year-olds learning the alphabet, but for all of us in recognizing how power plays into language within a cultural context. You see, this letter bag project wasn't just a game. It hit home on a personal level. In 1977, I survived a life-threatening brain hemorrhage as a six-year-old child. I experienced word-finding difficulties. The bursting of blood vessels also left me temporarily voiceless and silent. While I may have lacked verbal expression for a period of time, my body found alternative forms for self-expression and self-advocacy. And this is through music, dance, writing, and drawing. Today, in my vocation as a Unitarian Universalist minister and a disability justice advocate, my quest is to use language in whatever embodied forms they may take to liberate and empower. In doing so, my desire is to shift the paradigm of how disabled people are treated in society to avoid the silencing of systemic oppression. Take the letter A, for example, the Americans with Disability Act. This is a civil rights law that passed in 1990 that protects people with disability from discrimination. This civil rights act catalyzed a major paradigm shift in changing the medical model into a social model. The medical model views disability as a defect. It was a, a defect within the individual. Disability is an aberration compared to normal traits and characteristics. In order to have a high quality of life, these defects must be cured, fixed, or completely eliminated. Healthcare, healthcare and social service professionals have the sole power to correct or modify these conditions. The social model, on the other hand, says that people are disabled by barriers in society, not by their impairments or difference. It calls for an end to discrimination and oppression by advocating for education, accommodation, and universal design to meet the needs of disabled people. This is huge. Why? Because language shapes perception. In 1998, Judy Singer, a sociologist with autism, coined the term neurodiversity. By embracing the language of diversity, she positively reframed how disabled people are perceived and treated. For example, instead of using the medical model of normal and abnormal, today we use neurotypical and neurodivergent to refer to diversity in the human brain and its relationship to human behavior. When we change the narrative to a more empowering model, it changes how we treat each other. Another key word in our lexicon is intersectionality. As Audre Lorde said, 
We do not leave, lead single-issue lives. Disabled people lead full, rich, meaningful, complex lives. And this includes the intersectionality of race and gender. In 2005, Patricia Byrne co-founded an organization called Sins Invalid. Sins Invalid is a disability justice-based performance project. It incubates and celebrates artists and disabilities, centralizing artists of color and LGBTQ gender variant artists and for communities that have historically been marginalized. Now that we have highlighted key words within the disability justice movement, let me offer a concrete example. Prior to seminary, I served as a nonprofit fundraiser. I was mission-driven, cause-oriented. I developed positive relationships with donors. I wrote impactful appeal letters. I participated in many speaking engagements. I performed my professional duties well in most all areas except one, event planning. In this area, it all came down to speed-based efficiency and outcome-driven results. My brain injury directly impacts the speed in which I process information around executive functioning and working memory. This means that fast-paced multitasking skills pose a challenging work environment for me. I figured that if I tried hard enough and worked fast enough, then maybe I might be good enough. Not just good enough as a professional earning an income, but good enough to be worth as a human being. This is live, right? It's dynamic. Mm. When I tied my inherent worth and dignity within our profit-driven, uh, within our profit-driven capitalistic society, I always came out lacking. I bring 46 out of 52 years of lived experience with this, so it's been a, it's been a journey. But I couldn't understand why. I took it personally. For a long time, I lived with internalized oppression around productivity and speed. Clearly, I had much to learn about how our white supremacy culture had shaped my worldview. So, I joined fellow UU congregants to participate in a racial justice program called Beloved Conversations. Its mission is to heal the impact of racism on our lives in order to get free together. This class helped me develop a new language and understanding. While some forms of oppression are overt, many others are sneaky in their subtlety, covert, difficult to identify and name. And without being able to name it, it makes it all the more challenging to enact social change. This nuanced approach, of course, is by design to maintain the silence and invisibility. These various types of oppression lead to shame, isolation, and alienation. In considering oppression within the context of disability, I became keenly aware 
of the intersection between productivity and disability. Capitalism prioritizes productivity. Your value and worth in how much you can, the, your value and worth lie in how much you can produce for profit. So what happens when some brains and bodies don't produce at the same level as others? Does that make them less worthy? I mean, you can't reduce a person's inherent worth and dignity down to labor alone, right? What about their humanity? This line of questioning turns very bleak very quickly in light of our American history. This is exactly what we did to black and indigenous people. We reduced their humanity down to labor alone, resulting in slavery for black people in the name of profit. As for indigenous people, we stripped them of their land in the name of profit. In addition, we stripped them of their cultural heritage through colonization in the name of civilization. My awareness of oppression galvanized me to join the disability justice movement in working towards greater equity and inclusion. It also led me to transfer my nonprofit fundraising skills into the field of ministry, from donor relations to pastoral care, from writing appeal letters to writing sermons, from public speaking to preaching, from event planning to retreat facilitation. Both fields value relationship building and service outreach. Yet in nonprofit fundraising, the working conditions require speed-based, outcome-driven results and efficiency. In ministry, the working conditions require contemplation, reflection, and discernment. I share my own story for two reasons. First, I want to humanize neurodiversity so that it feels tangible and relatable to people's everyday lives. Second, I want to acknowledge that visible and invisible disabilities are both integral parts of this movement. As for visible disabilities, wheelchair accessibility highlights a powerful part of our history. This includes the intersectionality of disability and race. For example, Brad Lomax was a disability activist with multiple sclerosis as well as a member of the Black Panther Party. He and Judy Human, along with hundreds of other disability activists, joined forces together in organizing and leading the 504 sit-in protest in San Francisco. As the disability slogan goes, nothing about us without us. Together, these activists made history in helping to pass Section 504 at the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. This law marked the first U.S. federal civil rights protest protection, protesting to make protection available for people with disabilities. As for invisible disabilities, these include dyslexia, epilepsy, mental health issues, ADHD, and ADD, to name just a few. In our society, what is not seen is often dismissed and rendered invalid. After all, where's the proof? Where's the evidence? 
The act of affirming neurodiversity lies in honoring the fullness of one's humanity, whether one's disability is seen or unseen, visible or invisible. As part of our disability justice movement, we need to make this point absolutely clear. A person's inherent worth and dignity is fully intact and held as sacred apart from one's productivity. And I'm going to repeat that. that is, this, is, this is sacred and holy. We need to make this point clear that a person's inherent worth and dignity is fully intact and held as sacred apart from one's productivity. Regarding the connection between neurodiversity and spirituality, here's what I have to offer from my own lived experience. I'm a visual, kinesthetic, and experiential learner. Eco-theology plays a large part in shaping my ministry. Why? Because it speaks to the depth, richness, and dignity of slowing down in the sacred act of embodiment. This slower pace also honors the Earth's rhythms, seasons, and cycles of life. Environmentalist Wendell Berry expressed it beautifully in these words. Blessed is the life lived at a pace that is in sync with the land on which it is lived. My spiritual practice originates from a monastic tradition called Lectio Divina. This is Latin for meditating on the divine lectionary of biblical scripture. Given my deep connection with the natural world as my source of sacred scripture, I've added this meditation to Terra Divina, which is Latin for divine earth. And since my daily nature walks inspire imagery and poetry, I have added two more Latin words to my practice. Visio means visual, and scriba means scribe or writing. When I integrate all three of these elements together, I create what is known as an acrostic poem, aligning the letters with the words to share the message. Here are a few examples. Some days I'm reminded of life's subtle, quiet, transient qualities, like mist hovering over water and blurring treetops. Mist, mysterious, irreducible, sly, testing boundaries. Other days, I experience transcendent moments of sheer beauty, like a cormorant bird silhouette mirrored on a golden lake early in the morning. Mirror, marveling at exquisite balance, equilibrium, poise, iridescent beauty, regal ease, royal composure, ordinary grace through nature's extraordinary extraordinary grandeur, reverence and awe. After a lifetime of relentless, speed-driven striving, I find refuge and redemption in nature's organic unfolding of budding growth. Buds, blooming in one's own sweet time, and furling at one's own pace, delighting in a grace-filled rhythm of ease, surrendering 
to Cairo's time of sacred seasons. And then there are days when I am moved by a simple garden statue evoking the image of shelter. It leads me to reflect on what it means to shelter and be sheltered by each other as a community of faith. Shelter, sanctuary, healing space, embers glowing, listening presence, together in community, ease, rest. Words matter. Language matters. Whether you are fierce, ferocious, or just plain fabulous like the four-year-old girl with the dinosaur bones, know this. Your unique ways of thinking and being in the world are a blessing. May we, as a people of faith and service, join together in affirming that neurodiversity is a vibrant way of life that enriches each person through visible and invisible ways. And may we find wonder, beauty, and shelter in each other as a hospitable sanctuary of radical inclusion and welcome. May it be so. Amen.